Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend Anne Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf for the day, Masachat Sukkah, daf Nun Hey, page 55. We have one more daf uh, to our Masachat after today. Thank you to those of us, uh, those of you who joined us uh, prematurely for our seum. We had no choice, really, for the scheduling of it. Um, but the real seum, of course, will be tomorrow when we all finish, please God. Um, okay. Our daf today has a couple of Mishnayot. Your day and I will turn those to you. Um, I'll turn that to you in a moment. Um, I want to hear talk about what happens in on the daf. We're talking about certain aspects of the tefillah and how it comes to represent the holiday of Sukkot and what happened in the Beit HaMikdash in our prayers today. So first of all, we have some discussion of the tehillim, the psalms that are recited as part of today's service, um, which were, you know, then also part of the identifying aspect of each day. The trickiest part, I think, about how Yantif works is this phenomenon of Yantif Sheni Shalkoliot. This idea that because they would rely on the witnesses to tell the, the Sanhedrin, to tell them when the moon had become the new moon, right? When when the um, they're going to identify the dates according to witnesses who can say what they saw in the sky, right? Based on the based on the shift of the moon, then what happens is there can be a question over whether this day or that day, meaning the first day or the second day, let's say, of any Kodesh are in fact going to be Rosh Kodesh. Now, this gets particularly tricky for Rosh Hashanah because Rosh Hashanah is the only holiday that falls out to be on Rosh Kodesh. So then you end up with um, a greater uncertainty because because you can't uh, you can't get the message, and this was of course the point that when they would get the when the witnesses would come to the Beit Hamikdash and they would identify the day of the moon, and it would either be in time for the Kiddush Hakodesh for the sanctification of the moon to be that day, or it would be the next day. And of course, we'll get to all of this much more when we come to Masachat Rosh Hashanah, not that far away. Please God. Then, at some point, they would send out the messengers to go tell the whole realm, really that it was time to have Rosh Chodesh. And then they would get there in time to identify it's not just Rosh, Rosh Hashanah because all the subsequent holidays follow in line, right? Meaning 10 days after the first day of Rosh Hashanah, you have Yom Kippur. And then at the at um, day 14, you have Arab Sukkot and all the days of Sukkot follow. But, <clears throat> but the problem is that when you don't know exactly, you can't be exactly sure whether the witnesses are going to come in time or not in time, and you leave too far away for the messengers to get messengers to get to you. So they would say, okay, you know what? Just in case Yantif is this day, we're going to keep Yantif this day. But just in case Yantif is the next day, we're going to keep Yantif that day. And that's how we end up with Yantif Shani Shalgoliot. And I may not have explained this as well as we will see when we delve into all of the aspects of this um, uh, for now, of this practice of the Kiddush HaKodesh when we get there in Rosh Hashanah, but this is basically what's happening. And then that means that every single day of Sukkot, there's a question, is today the day that was Yantif, or is it tomorrow that's the day of Yantif? Meaning, or the next day you would say, well, was today the day of Yantif, or was it yesterday that was the day of Yantif? And the Tefillah itself comes to accommodate this, because in that Musaf Tefillah, we end up saying, we end up recognizing both um, both days in our recitation of the korbanot of that day. So, what we have here in the Gemara, it's a very small piece of Gemara. It says, 
Meaning we who, outside of Israel, the whole point here is outside of Israel, this Gemara is taking place in Bavel. Um, we outside of Israel, we have two days of the holiday because of that, you know, this uncertainty over which day it is. What How are we supposed to conduct ourselves when it comes to mentioning these Musafin offerings, the, the Korban that was a Musaf, um, so that they can, so you can say it right. So Abai Amar, Sheni Yidache. Abai says that mentioning the second day will be superseded, will be pushed off. What does that mean? That since you end up with Cholamoid, let's see if I can get these numbers right. Basically, let's say you've got days one through seven, right? And so on the first day, you're accommodating the first day, and then, but on the second day, you're not sure if it's the first day or the second day, right? So since we have the first day of Cholamoid outside of Israel, is really the third day of the holiday in Israel. So what they do is, or according here to Abai, would you mention only the third day as if you're in the land of Israel? Or do you also mention the next day? So for example, the, are you mentioning the second day and the third day, the third day and the fourth day, the fourth day and the fifth day, and so on? So um, <clears throat> basically, this is the question. Would you ever mention that these second, so according to Abai, you never end up mentioning the second day because of the way you're going to line up um, your concern for the Sveka Dioma. But Rava says, it's not that the second day will be knocked out. Rava Amar We won't mention the seventh day. How does that work? Tanika, um, what, what that means is, I'm sorry, I'll get to the next bit of the Gemara in one second. What that means is that when you have the first day of Cholamoid um, in outside of the land of Israel, it will be the third day of, still, it will be the third day of the holiday in Israel, right? Because you have two days of Yantif, and then you have Cholamoid in, in Chutzlaretz, and it will already be the second day, no, I'm sorry, the third day of the holiday, which is the second day of Cholamoid in Israel. And so then you see this passage, which says, and on the second day, right, which is the reading of the Korbanot that's associated with this day. It's a citation from the book of Bamidbar. Okay, and you mentioned that into Shimon Esrei in the Amidah of, of Musaf. And then you, so you read this passage and the next passage, meaning this passage and the next day. And each one, right? But then what happens is when you get to the end, you don't ever really say the seventh day because when you get to that, the eighth day, in the Chutzlaretz, you're getting to this day, which is the seventh or eighth day, and you're going to have Shemini Atzeret. So that you you kind of like just miss that last day of Sukkot, according to Rava's take. Tani Kavateda Rava, Im Chal Shabbat Leopachad Mehem, Yimotu Yidache. So the Nigmar says, well, if Shabbos, if Cholmoid is, um, falls out on the Adchomoid, meaning as opposed to it being a Yantif Shachal Shabbat, the days don't line up. You um, Yantif and Shabbos don't line up. So you have a Shabbat that is its own day within Cholamoid. There's another passage that you would add, which is um which begins Yumutu, right? That's the, what the passage is. And this is, that's the one that gets knocked down. You don't recite it. So this I find to be mind-boggling a little bit without a chart. I would like to make a chart on a board and show what these three different passages and how the days could line up and show where it would get what they're calling here, Yidache, where it would get pushed off, where you would end up not reciting this passage. But like I said, anybody who's going to say, who, who says this in Davening knows that 
It gets complicated when you're davening myself. And now we get to the last opinion. So Amemar said in the Harda, that's where he was in charge. Right? He says that really what you do is you repeat the second of the Musaf on the day before and you add the next one on the next day. So that basically, which again, sounds very... Um, I find it to sound, to be able to put this into words, I apologize to all of you listening because I don't feel that I can put it into words as well as I can make this chart. But basically, a Mayamar's view is exactly what we do, which is to say that we don't skip anything. We don't skip the second day. We don't skip the last day. We don't skip it on Shabbos, the passage that you would read on Shabbos if Shabbos was its own Cholmai day. Rather, we cover ourselves by reading day two and day three on the, on the second day and day three and day four on the third day and day four and day five on the fourth day, and so on, so that, and if I've said this backwards, and it should really be on the fifth day, but that's the point. The point is that we recite both days of the Sveika Diyoma, where we're not sure, is it that day or is it the next day, according to the calendar, according to the moon, not according to the calendar. Um, and then through all of that, um, we cover ourselves to make sure that everything that we've said of that day is exactly following the question of the day, the same way that we had two days of Yantif, we have essentially two days of each day of Cholamoid, according to the recitation of the passages that correspond to the Musaf offerings. I have made this chart with my words very poorly, but I hope the concept and certainly on Maymar's view here, uh, you know, should be clear. And Sukkot is coming. You can see it in your in your sitter or your machzer as we get there. So you definitely took the harder part of the daf. Uh, today, but I what I liked about this passage was it totally reflects how we actually daven, and I always find it very confusing when you're davening Musaf on Cholamoid. Which day are you saying? Did you get the right day? Did you say the wrong day? So this stuff like completely reflected a reality that is still true today. Um, I'm going to move down to uh, one of the two missions that's on this page, which is much easier to go through. So Anne, thank you again for taking the heavy lifting part of the daf. Yom Tov Arishon Shalchag Hayusham Shlosha Asar Parim Elim Shnayim Vaseir Echad. So on the first day of Sukkot, uh, what they did in the Beit Hamikdash was they sacrificed thirteen bulls, two rams, and one goat. And then basically, what the mission is going to do is basically describe how this was divided amongst the twenty-four Mishmarot. So if we remember, we've talked about this before that all the Kohanim, right, they couldn't all serve in the Beit HaMikdash at one time. So they were divided into these 24 Mishmarot, right? Everybody would come and basically serve during the holidays. Um, but during the rest of the year, one Mishmar would go at a time during the week. They would have a parallel um, city or town uh, that was, you know, that they sort of represented of Yisraelim. That was a Ma'amad. And in that, in that Ma'amad during that week, they would lane from Bereshit, that's a whole other discussion. We, we learned about this in Shkallim. Um, But, you know, so this is basically describing how this all was, was divided. So knowing that we have all these animals to sacrifice, the, the Mishnah goes on to say, So 14 sheep, right? So in other words, 16 of the Mishmarot would offer the 13 bulls, the two rams, and the one goats. Then you would have 14 sheep that would be divided amongst, uh, amongst the other eight watches, right? So 
And on the first day of the festival of the Chag, six of the eight remaining watches would sacrifice two sheep each for a total of 12. And the remaining two watches would do one sheep each. Again, and you know what? I actually will go back. This mission is also a little confusing. We need a chart for it. Then the Gemara goes on to say, the Mishnah, excuse me, Bashini Chamisha Makrivim, Shnaim Shnaim, Bashar Echadachad, Bashlishi Arbaam Makrivim, Shnaim Shnaim, Bashar Echadachad. That on the second day, which was the first day of Cholomoid, when there were only 12 bulls that were sacrificed, so then you would have 15 of the Mishmarot would do the bulls, the rams, and the goats. Five of the remaining Mishmarot would do two sheep each, and then four would do one sheep each. So the idea is, all 24 Mishmarot had to participate in some way, but the number of korbano that they would bring may vary. So then on the third day, when it was only 11 bulls, because again, that's the key to Sukkot, is that you have these decreasing number of tarot um, every, you know, every day. So you go from 13 on, on the first day, and then you, you know, decrease by one through those, through those seven days. So on the third days, you would only have 11 bulls, right? So you would have 14 uh, Mishmarot would do the bulls, the rams, and the goat. And then four would do two sheep each. And then the remaining six Mishmarot would do one sheep each. The point here is, is that as we decrease the number of bulls, we're increasing the number of Mishmarot that need to do the sheep. So the number of Mishmars that get to do two sheep versus one decreases as well. And we increase the number of Mishmarot that will just do one sheep. Finally, Bashvi, Kulan, Shavin, on the seventh day, they're all equal, meaning everybody's only going to bring one offering. But on the eighth day, right, they would go back to the regular lottery system that was used on the other holidays, meaning Pesach and Shavuot, right, which didn't have as many uh, korbanot as they do here. So what was interesting about Sukkot is, it, in other words, well, let me back up. For all the regalim, all the mishmarot would come up. So all kohanim would be there. And basically, using the lottery system on Pesach or Shavuot, different mishmarot would participate. On Sukkot, because of the sheer number of korbanos, every mishmar got a korban. But that was not necessarily the case for Pesach and Shavuot, even though all the mishmarot were there. Amru, Mishay Kriv, Parim Hayom, Loya Machar, El Chodrin Chalila. They said, right, that the person, the Mishmar who sacrificed bulls on one day didn't sacrifice bulls the next day. So they would do the other type of offering. So this way they rotated. So basically every one of the, the Mishmarot would have an opportunity uh, to do, to, to sacrifice one of the bulls. So very interesting Mishnah that explains sort of like how all of this was, was divvied up so that everybody could participate on Sukkot, which is, was a little different than the other uh, holidays. I'm going to skip down, and now the Gemara makes a nice comment here. I'm a Rabbi Elazar. Hayu shivim parim keneged mi, keneged shivim umot. So this is a very famous Gemara, that the idea of the 70 bulls all together that was done over the seven days is basically correspond to the 70 nations of the world, right? This is a long rabbinic tradition that there's sort of, we say, 70 nations of the world. Um, and the idea is you're doing it in on their behalf. Par yechidi lama keneged umar yechida. And the single bull that's given on Shemini Atzeret, what is that for? 
that is for the nation of Israel. So the mashal they give here is to a king of flesh and blood, a regular king, who says to his servants, make me a great feast, right? That's going to last for many, many days. But on the last day, he says to his favorite servant, so he says, make me a small feast so I can just have pleasure just from the fact that you, my favorite servant, you made me something. And so that's the idea that basically Hashem, right, has this huge feast, right? This huge feast is given to God. All the nations are represented. Um, and then on the last day, God only needs, Hashem only needs one part that represents Yisrael. Um, so, and then finally, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Oy lahem la goyim. So Rabbi Yochanan says, woes to the nations of the world. She'idu ve'en yodim ma'she'idu. That lost something and they don't know what they lost. Bizman she'beit ha'midash kayam, mizbeach mechaper lehem. When the Beit HaMidash stood, right, they were mechaper, they were atoned in the Beit HaMidash, right? This giving of the 70 parim gave them kapara. V'achshav mi mechaper lehem. And now, right, meaning now that the Beit HaMidash should destroy, who is going to atone for them? So the other thing that I think is beautiful about these passages is that traditionally we tend to think of the avoda, right, that, you know, is done in the Beit HaMidash and particularly around the Regalim as really being a signifier of the relationship between God and B'nai Israel. And from this passage, it's very clear that Sukkot has a very univer- universalistic, I guess, uh, piece to the holiday that we are really doing a kapara, right? It follows right after Yom Kippur for all of the nations of the world. And furthermore, I think this is one of the passages that shows that the purpose of the Beit HaMikdash is really to represent all of humanity. It's not there. Yes, the Jews have a special relationship as reflected in the type of korban that's given on Shemini Yatzeret, but all of the Yomot HaOlam really get to participate. But finally, in Rabbi Yochanan's last comment, it's sort of like they're participating in it and we're doing it on their behalf, but they sort of don't even know that it's happening. And so I thought that aspect of it was also very interesting. This is something we do on their behalf without them really knowing about it. I think if nothing else here, Dana, beyond the fact that I do think that's a nice thought and and it's, I think, helpful and insightful as we do come to the holiday upcoming, whatever, I think that this daf, perhaps more than anything we've seen in a while, maybe since Shkalem, is one of those pages where the another dif- disadvantage of a podcast, right, for the learning daf Yomi comes up because really these charts would be helpful. So um, even, you know, it's a mission, it should be so clear. It is so clear, except for that we're talking about day by day by day where the carbonate would change. So everybody, and the Mishmarot would change. So we should line it up. You know, anybody who wants to make a chart at home, I welcome it. I, I invite you to do so. So I'm just going to conclude here with the last mission that's on the page. So now they're, you know, this is very typical Mishnah. They're going to stick in a Mishnah. It has nothing to do with Sukkah, but it, since we're talking about the topic of Mishmarot, so we're going to, and, and the last statement of, uh, well, well, the second to last statement of the Mishnah talked about when the Mishmarot were sort of all equal or have equal status. So we're going to continue with that theme. And so there's three times during the year when the Mishmarot are all equal. So it's in the portions of the offerings in the festivals, right? Everybody's going to receive something. And in the distribution of the Lacham HaPanim, which was, is the shrewbread on Shabbat during festivals. So it's only during festivals. But Sered Omer Lo, right? So on Shavuot, remember, Sered is a name for Shavuot, 
right? So this coin would come and there were two types of bread that were distributed. The matzah, which was the special shoe bread of Shavuot, right? And then there was the um, uh, the 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 chametz, the leavened bread that they would get to, uh, you know, heili chametz mishmar mano kavua, right? If it was the 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 mishmar, the the mishmar who was there actually their fixed time, who makriv tamidim nizarim and nizavot ushar kavanotzibor umakriv atzarkol. So now they're telling you just how the mishmar worked. That when it was your mishmar, right? You were basically responsible for the korban tami, all of the nidzarim or nidzavot offerings, and basically all sacrifices, even during the festivals, right? Um, uh, you know, uh, th- this is what was done by the mishmar. So in other words, one thing we're learning here is that, yes, all the mishmarot came up during the regalim, but there still was one designated mishmar, right, that got sort of the majority of the listed korbanot here, and then the other Mishmar got everything else. Um, so, you know, it's always interesting to see these missions. This is a mission that easily could have appeared in Shkalim. It's interesting that we get to it again with Sukkah because the only other um, sort of, I guess, observation I would make here is, is that Sachim and Yuma very much we associate with Korbano. And Sukkah, again, because I think it's the way we celebrate it today, I don't think of it, I've said this to you beforehand, as like a temple-based uh, holiday. But it's so clear from here that with the number of korbanot and this whole thing with the Mishmarot, it is very much a temple-based holiday. I think also we should keep in mind the Niso Hamayim, right? Which we've talked about because, of course, it's come up in these dafim. But I think that the the same way that there was this festivity that was the greatest festivity of all time, right? The Simchat Beit Shoeva was everybody rejoicing in the water of this, right? Like, I, I feel like, yes, I agree with you that Sukkot is a more temple-based holiday than I think that people maybe always realize. Part of that is the recognition also of the of the agricultural side of things, which we do, I think, identify today because, oh, we talk about the harvest and, and all this, but but also the water side of things, which I don't think anybody really should be taking water um, for granted. But I think that people were much more aware of how little they could take it for granted when they couldn't just like go buy bottled water at any drop of a hat, which I'm not, you know, which is a complicated environmental question. But what I mean is we even in Israel today, we don't feel the water, the potential for water shortage in our bones. We know it intellectually. Then I think when you're relying on your crops to you're relying on water for your crops. I feel like everybody was rejoicing in the ooh, we're coming to the the winter rains. We need that in a in a different kind of way, but in the Beit Hamikdash, right? Because there's a libation of water, there's a prayer for water. All of this, I think, is like the the backdrop of the carbonot side of things that we also don't so much always think about. I think that's an excellent point. And you know, as we go, we're closing out now in this masachet, I think we're seeing there's many, many facets to it, which unfortunately we don't get to fully separate. Uh, and we've really done this emphasis on sitting in the structure of the sukkah. And I think it is interesting that the Mishnah 
which is clearly written in a non-Beit HaMikdash time, starts at that point. It doesn't start in the temple-centric piece of it, but it ends on the temple-centric piece of it. Whereas Pesachim was sort of the opposite. It started with the Korban piece and then ended with the Seder piece, which again made some sense because you didn't have the Seder unless you had the Korban. But I, I think there's something to think about there with, with that structure. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.